Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are continuing our Halloween Spooktacular 2019 with The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which is Washington Irving's 1820 short story about how a big dumb nerd gets his comeuppance at the hands of a headless horseman. So, Katie, why The Legend of Sleepy Hollow? This is your Halloween pick. This was my Halloween pick, and boy, do I have reasons for it. And they're all very personal. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, The first of these reasons is that 19th century spooky shit is just fantastic. And there's a bonus here, which is that the protagonist, Ichabod Crane, is a just a big dumb nerd who gets run out of town by like a guy basically holding a flashlight under his chin and saying, (laughs) (laughs) so it fucking rocks. The headlessness thing. Also, I am very into because my dad used to go up to me and my sister in a very serious tone and say, sweetheart, looks like, uh, it looks like you dropped your head. And if we would look down, he would laugh his ass off. (laughs) (laughs) So like the headlessness thing. I also love a good local legend. And this is about a local legend. The story is about a New York local legend. Um, I, as we know, am from New Jersey, where we have the Jersey Devil. Good-ass X-Files episode about it, so check that out. Um, and you two also, I just want to get you, I want to get you, like, in this mode, sort of, like, thinking in this in this uh, local legend mode. So Tristan, of course, is from Delaware, <laughs> a state where they truly believe in the ghost of Judge Chu, who haunts people because he is still pissed from beyond the grave because people roasted him for having a name that sounds like a sneeze. I have never heard of this, actually. <laughs> It's a real thing, I swear. Okay. I believe I I mean it, it sounds like Delaware. It's just like a grab bag of insane facts and racists. Yes, it <laughs> that yes, that is true. And it, as it totally far as I can tell. It totally sounds like Delaware. So I believe it. I just am not familiar with this particular bit of local color. Yes. Uh, and I am dismissed from any and all roasting duties because Delaware has already roasted you to to a fine crisp. <laughs> I would say burn, so. but that's, yeah. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, Megan, though, you have a very interesting local legend that I found out about. Uh, you are from Oregon. This is true. And did, and did you know that on the 13th of every month in Oregon, all the skinny wheeled bicycles go out riding alone at midnight and they meet in the very center of the state to share an oat milk latte and bitch about how people don't understand how much better things sound on vinyl. <laughs> oh, like, I didn't know that was a legend, but none of it surprises me. Oh, it's a legend. The scariest part of this legend is the things on vinyl sound the exact fucking same. <laughs> Get a Bose speaker, you bunch of haunted bike dorks. I can't believe that I was literally about to defend that and be like, you know what actually sounds legitimately better on vinyl? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Try, no, try your opera. I'm just saying, like, listen to Verity. Try it on both. It sounds better on vinyl. I shan't be doing that. 
working, but you know, like just break out your Kiri Takanoa records. It's going to be lit. Your downstairs neighbors are going to be like, yeah, she really is partying fucking hard today. <laughs> that is true. It's just, just, you know how to disturb the downstairs neighbors. So I wanted to read Washington Irving because I because there's a chill in the air here in Chicago, and it's raining, which is my native weather as a Pacific Northwest person. And also, I wanted to celebrate the changing of the seasons by reading spooky shit, as we do. I also have seen a lot of horror movies and went to see it last night. It was fine. Uh <laughs> Because I am a full indoor kid, and I think that both of you are probably too, except for Tristan sometimes runs by the lake, um, <laughs> which is weird. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think reading scary stories is very dorky, and I like that, and it's cool. Um, I also have a, a, some vague memory that there's a Disney version of this. Yeah. And I remember finding Ichabod Crane like, gross like even as a little kid <laughs> even a little kid as a little kid and what i clearly like tapped into my unconscious like yesterday when i was rereading this and was like oh i feel like i hate this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i i was right like yeah um also i genuinely want to know this is <laughs> this is one of those great books where i'm like katie tell us just like tell us the story of why early american shit has this spooky vibe and and it's like doesn't and it's goth gothy but it doesn't seem quite gothic in the way that like we've talked about it before right does that seem right yeah totally it's like spooky shit i'm super into that but i want to know what that genre distinction is but also like why everyone who like was born here born in the united states before 1800 and or came over to do genocide was such a sad hippie weirdo <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's true it, it, they they really were um also like yeah so we're i we're goths apparently right <laughs> like we, we, yeah. we started knew? the show Hell yeah. with frankenstein and dracula uh we did poe and uh, uh jekyll and hyde without even realizing we were like in some kind of halloween month and then we're like hey let's do a halloween spectacular three episodes so <laughs> Yep, here we are. That's that. Those are our choices. No, I know. I mean, I never really knew that about myself, but okay, fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, yeah. And and I, I like I said this with Hawthorne and with Poe. Um, like, I'm really kind of interested in this early 19th century thing where writers are like, well, they're dealing with the lack of like antiquity or like long history of European colonization in North America, which of course a lot, you know, there's obviously tons and tons of pre-Columbian history or the history of, of, uh, you know, the, the, like the early moments of, of genocide here um, that get, gets elided by that, by being like, there's some, there, this is a blank slate. Um, but there's all these people that are either like, yeah, either trying to postulate or fantasize. What would it look like if we had all this long history or like kind of making fun of that impulse, which I feel like both uh, Hawthorne and Irving's kind of are. Um, and I just kind of want to work through that a bit. Um, like, I agree that this isn't like, um, like European goth or it's not like invested in the European Gothic, but it is definite. Like there's all these lines early on in, in Sleepy Hollow. 
about like this is where the ancient Dutch navigator sailed up the Hudson, um, which <laughs> yeah. also to me is hilarious because you're talking about like what is now like suburban bedroom communities for New York City. So this idea that it's like the right. frontier is like so kind of crazy. Um, and I think even at Irving would say it's like a little it's kind of a joke uh, or he's kind of making a joke with that stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, so I, I'd kind of like to get into that um that a bit um and yeah it's uh you know i i, mean, I am down with like pre-contact history they have is like a uh what the flat version of like the ancient indian burial ground right yes yeah no mm-hmm. totally yeah that's totally which is right. not here um, but i do think it's like the near universal uh poe does that it's like almost here though yeah yeah no, yeah um, i agree it's still well, it happens earlier than i would have thought Yes, yeah. totally. Well, and there and and there's there's this hilarious line uh, in, in it where basically uh, we I mean, we can look at more closely where he's kind of like, yeah, this is a you know this ghost story is weird because first of all, it's like the Revolutionary War, which is when the Headless Horseman is supposed to be from, happened like a t- two seconds ago. Uh, but also, <laughs> like, we don't have enough history for ghosts to have actually like you know happened, uh, which is is just funny. So anyway, I, there's a lot of stuff here, and I totally agree with you guys. It crane is a fucking doofus i'm so glad he got owned and it was hilarious <laughs> i mean i I'm do like how much the motherfucker eats like i do <laughs> yeah. we oh will talk God. about this today but i'm like i i'm not mad at food descriptions really no every season is hungry boy season yes <laughs> he loves the food yeah. he's also like very big on sweets which i as like I'm just like talk about cake some more. Like yeah. I'm really fine. I'm fine with talking about cake all day. And women with fluffy boobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. So today we are talking about early American history. We're talking about genre with respect to the gothic and short fiction and how to figure out the tone of a work of fiction and how that matters. And we are talking about food and tall, thin dipshits. Okay, so Katie, just tell us what happens in the story. Okay, I'm going to tell you what happens in the story, and it's going to be your. It's going to blow your fucking mind. Talk about cakes, please. <laughs> Talk about cakes. So, the legend of Sleepy Hollow is about a town where. There is a gas leak and everyone is sleepy as fuck because they are all inbred and related to the same four Dutch people. Right. So that's what's going on. And they're all like very superstitious. They don't know that magic tricks are magnets. They think that they live in an enchanted town. And they love ghost stories. So one of their particular favorites, one of the particular favorites of all the Dutch housewives is this uh, legend of the Headless Horseman, who is a Hessian troop who got his head blown off by a cannonball, who then, quote, rides forth to the scene of battle in knightly quest of his head. <laughs> okay. Not a pumpkin. Um, not Certainly not a pumpkin. He's And he's always, like, in a huge fucking rush to get back to the graveyard before the morning comes. And he's, like, chasing people. He's very creepy. So the leg- so, so we've got this, like, background going on, this, like, superstitious shit. And then in comes our protagonist, Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane is a school teacher who loves to hit the kids. He's (laughs) built like one of those 
balloon people that's outside car dealerships, just like weird and tall and flowy <laughs> with a flat head and a long nose and like watery green eyes. Uh, Irving says he looks like a, um, a genius of famine descending upon the earth or some scarecrow eloped from a cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to make, he likes to sing, which I also find like, ugh. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He likes to sing so much. He, he thinks he, he sings like the loudest in church and yeah. everybody can hear him like, like singing out of his nose and his other cute little, uh, cute little, habit is that when he's constantly freaked out like spooked by haunted things and when he has freaked the shit out of himself by like thinking about a ghost story he's walking alone through the woods at night he screams sings psalms through his nose <laughs> so like, that everyone in town can hear yeah yeah is this roderick like, usher <laughs> he Ooh. may be little bit yeah absent the kind of aristocratic uh inbreeding yeah he is kind of roderick usher oh yeah this is like i will admit that this is extremely low on the incest spectrum yes this is low on the any fucking or it's a it's a different kind of incest at least yeah Yeah. right different flavor it's a different flavor um so ichabod is just like truly the goddamn worst he doesn't have, he sort of like doesn't really have a permanent home. He just follows all the students home and is like, yo, can I crash at I your place for you. about a week? Yeah. I'm real hungry and I heard your sister's hot. <laughs> yep. Like that's his whole vibe. But all the ladies in town are very horny for him because he's tall enough to reach grapes and he reads epitaphs on tombstones to entertain so them. Hot. So hot. Yet again, hot. like don't date a man because he's tall. Right. right. <laughs> this is the main rule. This is the main rule. It's the main rule of everything. Um, so again, at with the ladies, with the ladies' love mangle, he loves to tell spooky stories with the old Dutch housewives, and his contribution to it is reading stuff from or telling stuff from Cotton Mather's history of witchcraft, which even Cotton Mather's esteemed father Increase Mather was like, what the fuck my son about? <laughs> it is sad trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally, totally. Uh, he Victor Frankensteined him. He was like, don't, don't, no. This is way too late for you to be into witch Yeah, garbage. exactly. Also, like, You're supposed to be a respectable minister, not goddammit, not some kind of weird goth kid, right? Like, <laughs> right it's not this is like i can't even think of the parallel but this would be like starting a starting a 60s style cult right now people would be like you can't yeah that moment is like it's fucking gone homie like it's It's over you missed it you missed it you can't manson family anymore or ever not appropriate (laughs) all right yeah it really happened um so Speaking of ladies and scary stories, the real sort of terror, according to the narrator in this tale, is not ghosts or Bigfoots or the devil, but actually a big titty Dutch woman named <laughs> Katrina Van Tassel. <laughs> and Ichabod Crane is quite sprung for her. Part of his interest in her has to do with the fact that her dad is rich yep. and has a lot of food and like 
Ichabod wants to put his dick in a pudding uh, and like eat a bunch of like like eat rose pigs and shit. Yeah. And Ichabod has this fantasy that he's like, I want to sell your family farm, marry you, and drag you to Kentucky because your parents have a lot of food and like cool ass ostrich eggs hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so, but he has a rival who's named Brom Bones, who's basically guest on from Beauty and the Beast, but he likes to do practical jokes. Yeah. Right. And he's a crew of mischievous dude bros who do pranks and have dick measuring contests that end in fisticuffs. Um, and of course he also likes Katrina Van Tassel. So he's doing, again, like he's doing like whoopee cushions to Ichabod. He's trying to like get his revenge on him. And one night they're all, they're at a dance party together at Katrina Van Tassel's house. And Ichabod has ridden a mean old horse there with, who's real skinny, has one eye and shit caked all over its tail and like a (laughs) knotted up mane and one functioning eyeball. And he's ridden it to this party. And Katie's horsey girl feelings begin to crumble. Yes, this horse is hella fucked. Until we so, see the ghost, uh, the Hessian big dick, big haunch horse, and we're back. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we're back. And so Ichabod goes to his party. He is a skinny dork and a dipshit, but like he can really mow down a big boy male. And so that's what he does. And he dances. He does like an Elaine Bennis dance. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, and then gets turned down by Katrina Van Tassel after telling spooky stories, um, and sadly rides away into the night. And when he does, it turns out he's being followed by a guy on a horse who just happens to have no head. <laughs> what are the odds? He is apparently carrying his head, which is one way to know for sure he's not a real headless horseman, because you really had to carry your head around all the time you would have a bag for. <laughs> so anyway they're in this very intense chase and 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 ichabod can feel the breath of the big horse on him and he's like if i just get to this bridge that i see in the distance i can be safe i can i can escape but then the unthinkable happens the headless horseman throws his head at ichabod (laughs) oh no and he and he falls off his horse everyone dashes past him to the night uh ichabod then just like totally fucking disappears and the townspeople find, like, a bunch of pumpkin gook at the scene of the crime. Yeah. But they're all like, ah, my God, the headless horseman got Ichabod. All right, no need to look further into this. Let's <laughs> yeah. get another dork to run the school and move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, except, except for Brob. dead. Except for Brob Bodes, who, it, like, to me, it's, like, clear what it, like, this is a practical joke. Brob Bodes, like, oh, yeah. like threw the pumpkin at him. Ichabod Cray was like, wow, I'm so much of a dipshit. I have to leave now. Because, like, when they're, like, it's, like, everyone's, like, oh, maybe the Headless Horseman got him. But there's this lie that, like, except when, like, they would tell Brom Bodes his story. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I know what happened to that asshole, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, he goes <laughs> fully crazy. Yeah. But. And it also turns out that he's not, of course, Hedless Horseman's not got him. He's like three towns over being like a fancy judge. Yes, yes, exactly. He yes. changed his name. Exactly. He just, yeah, yeah. But. Also, like, I'm sure that getting hit in the head with a pumpkin at the right angle will kill you, but it doesn't seem like a guarantee. No. Hurt your pride. <laughs> no. You know, like, that just doesn't seem like one of those uh, Billy Budd moments where it's like, I punched him and he died. Yeah, yeah. As I was just saying, I, like, I'm not usually someone to who's going to root for the jock in a story, but in oh, this I case, oh, I totally rooted for the jock here. 
Oh, totally. <laughs> because Ichabod yep. Crane is like such a fucking piece of shit doofus, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, well, sorry, yeah. like, yeah, one just like, 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 super horny for all of the land of like every woman in the in the, yeah. in the vicinity, but also that he's just like so into beating his like his students, you know, <laughs> like he's a fucking <laughs> he's asshole. Like, yeah, I feel like this show is becoming the like fuck Pete Buttigieg hour, but like <laughs> this try hard bullshit. Oh yeah, is just like. I just, I just, I was the last person who would give somebody a swirly in high school yeah. in my life. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just like, you fucking nerd, get out of here. Yeah, but you're right. I think Ichabod Cray does have some, sort of a Mayor Pete vibe to him a little bit. He's got a little bit of Buddha Judge energy. Dumber. <laughs> yeah. Way dumber yeah. and also like way not dumber. chasing all the ladies in a distinctly creepy way. Yes, yes. No, 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 no. But yeah, no, Brom Bones is just like. He is the guy. He truly is like his version of hitting on a woman is like, you know, I bet I could lift you straight over my head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, that a, is a vibe that survives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. What the fuck kind of name is that, right? Like, that's a joke name. Rombones. Yes. Well, yeah, all it's of funny. its joke names, like Ichabod Crane, like that's yeah. a funny fucking name, <laughs> you know, like yep. Katrina Van Tassel. It's like, that's, a, okay, it's like, du- like, oh, so like insert Dutch woman name, right? <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep. No, it's funny. So will you, first context, I think, for this, because that, I'm genuinely sort of quelling about learning this. Yeah, so a little context. So I'll give a little bit of context on Irving and then some kind of um, context about like what sort of is going on nationally at the time and how this uh, short story collection that that this was that um, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was published in kind of fits into that. So just to start with Irving himself, he's like a really interesting dude and also a classic stone cold weirdo of 19th century America. Um, one hour. Yeah, yeah. The best fact about him is that he is the OG flat earth guy. Really? So, oh my God. Yes. So this like traces back to him. He wrote this biography. So he did a lot of biographies. He did like a uh, George Washington biography. He did one of Muhammad. He did one of Christopher Columbus, where he said that medieval people thought that the earth was flat and old Columbo just sailed around and around. Uh, It wasn't all about genocide. It was partly about proving this point. (laughs) The earth is round. Okay. Okay, so this is also just like Irving completely fucking made up that medieval people thought the earth was flat. Yeah, like it's bullshit. Oh, yeah, no, that's not what people thought. Yeah, so like, so this is not like a, so he is partially responsible, is what I am saying, for contemporary ding dongs with vanity license plates that say earth flat, where the E is a three because they couldn't get the actual word. So, like, no one from like the Bronze Age had actually thought that the earth was flat and that Irving made this up. And then so dipshits are like, huh, you know, ne- I never thought that, but now that you say it, this earth does look pretty <laughs> flat. Yeah. Also. He does seem to be doing some what about all the good shit Columbus did. Oh, yeah. No, no. He's like very – he's like – he stands Columbus. Like that's his thing. 
that he's not like, but what about the genocide, though? And it's like, oh, please, that's not that's just a side effect. That is not Irving's uh, major concern. Certainly. Again, I have to just reiterate, we've talked about this on the show before, but like uh, 1820, they fully know Native people are people. There are treaties. There's like lots of laws about dealing with the Indian problems. This is not like, dear listeners, don't be like, that's a sign of the times. No, no. No, it's not like you can't, you can't entire, you cannot entirely ever ascribe this shit to being a sign of the times. I will say at least the prevailing conversation among like Washington Irving's sort of guy was not like particularly uh, progressive, let's say. Oh, no, no, no. I know. It's just like we can't, but there's no, you know, he could have thought differently, I guess. Like it wouldn't be extra ideological, you know, it wouldn't have been outside of the ideological possibility. No, it wouldn't have been. But even like woker people like Hawthorne certainly was. Yeah. still had some like right. oh they're still racist yeah yeah so yeah so in addition to that shit he also wrote uh two kind of like um pretty famous works uh one is knickerbocker's history of new york and that is from 1809 and that's where we really like bring knickers into into the language uh, really? which is just yeah yeah like people were using the word but it's sort of like not so much until irving really like brought it into the language i have no like i i can't quite figure this one out um that's remarkable that i really didn't know that Dutch people he's also the first first dude to say gotham city really really yeah that's cool um, Unless I'm mixing it up with a Batman town. <laughs> yeah, that's what Batman says is Gotham City. Is that, that doesn't mean it's wrong. Sorry, did should. you have other context shit? Because I am still like excited about this. <laughs> no, that no, Megan, that was all. I just wanted to say it's a flatter. I have nothing else. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you other stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you want to talk about Jeffrey Crayon for a second? Okay, fucking Jeffrey Crayon. So this story appears in the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, which is a bunch of short stories and essays. And people just, people in Britain just like loved the fucking shit out of it. And one cool thing about Irving, he does funny names like all the time. It's like kind of his thing. And so like Jeffrey Crayon. I'm glad to know that. Yes, it's just everything. So fucking Jeffrey Crayon. It, if that doesn't sound like the fake name of like a creature that parents make up when kids <laughs> won't clean up their art supplies, yeah. I don't know what does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if you don't clean up your Crayola bullshit, Jeffrey <laughs> the Crayon will come down the chimney when you're sleeping and eat it. Yeah, I'm I'm going to steal that. Yeah. I was <laughs> yeah. thinking like, Tristan, try that and let us know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah see if it works. Um. And so, so the sketchbook of, of Jeffrey Crayon, um, noted crayon eater and uh, terrorist of children, um, is full of like a lot of this local color shit. And so it's part of this self-conscious attempt in the 19th century to construct something like a national American identity. 
And there's a lot going on with with that whole idea. And partially it has to do with, so not only the content of the stories, but the form of the stories themselves. So this sketchbook. So the the only thing newer than a novel to like transmit information is the short story stuff. Yeah. So, so we're doing something. So by, by making this not a novel, making it a collection of short stories is a way of saying like, we're doing something new without actually sort of saying it. Um, and is local color fiction like that's a real 19th century U.S. vibe, right? Yes, it's a real 19th century U.S. vibe, partly because what's what's at stake there is uh, whether or not like regions would be the dominating force in American politics or whether it would be, uh, you know, federal, national sort of like, you know, uh, ruling government and etc and i would say you also get a version of that too in britain and ireland um it, around this time um in in ireland and scotland especially the, the national tale like as you know the united kingdom has been constructed from the you know constituent countries it's like so okay so what does it mean to be irish in that context what does it mean to be scottish and part of it is like kind of reinventing or trying to reprocess like the national history of that particular country so it's like it, i mean it's it's different because there's like there's a weight of history there in a way that like in America with European settlement, it's just, it's, it's different. But I think that there are some similarities between those two projects. Most definitely. No, totally. And it's part, so part of this, um, so it's the same impulse. I think part of this, part of the, maybe not difference, but maybe like thick context that's going on here is that uh, these authors are trying to do what, Tocqueville said that you needed to make a nation. Mm-hmm. So like a common language, a common people, but also you have to contend with this really strong, like regional impulse. And so we're getting this stuff that's like, that's very deeply embedded in the local. So like you can't necessarily, you so you really can't move this story to another place. Right. So it's like, it's really deeply situating um, the, the, the story, the legend of Sleepy Hollow in this, in this location, in this like New York Dutch location. The other thing that goes back to the conversation that we had earlier about romance is that's what this is. So in a way, we have this romance, this and the narrative, like we don't have a whole bunch of um context for really like what Ichabod Crane is doing there and then why he does what he does. I mean it's all very like quite surface and dependent, not so much on character as it is on these figures who are just like part of the town and who do certain shit and like produce certain reactions. If if that just uh, have, like if that big big you. fluffy boobs and land. <laughs> big old fluffy titties, yeah. So there's Wait, so, so Katie, more- can I just like ask you one question sort of this is yeah, yeah. Div- I know devolving into like my interest but I know Tristan you really share this which is like this is a way in a sense of like ch- going away from something like a citizenship question, right? Because like regionalism is a way of not doing national citizenship talk. Yes, it absolutely is. Yeah. Cuz that's no, I mean 
that working out of like who is and isn't a citizen is also like a very weird 19th century question. But it's like it's not realized here because we want to be sort of like realizing that here would say something quite different about <sighs> regional sovereignty, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So to set, so there are three things I think that can sort of like help set this up and then I can be sort of, sort of done here. <laughs> um, the first thing is that we, so we have three things going on that situate us geographically. We have the Dutch, we have the Puritans and New England, and then we have something like folklore, which doesn't situate us geographically, but does, but is an, an effect that gets realized through geography. So like you have folklore in a particular place. And um, so the thing is like, so we, so then we have this other question. So what is it that brings together like Dutch separatists and new, new England Puritans, these people that like don't seem to share culture, geography, language. It's the revolution. That's the great cultural homogenizer. And so that's the thing that locates us differently in the 1820s than it was than it would have at the time of the revolution. So we're sort of looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after the revolution, we do have this sense that the differences are dissolved in a certain way. So the idea that like regionalism is something really precious and interesting and it's kind of sweet, but it's too fragile. Okay. So like after the regu- after the revolution, it's too fragile. It's a way of organizing political power, but it's not a w- it's not so, sort of sustainable. And that is the tension I think in the story that the regional regionalism keeps being like made and unmade constantly. And that has to do with genre. It has to do with the subject matter. It has to do with like fucking everything. And this is like uh, not exclusively the Marx take, Marxy take, but this is like a, a version of doing a Marxist take, right? Which is like this is trying to work out something economic, political, um, national, and and about like land owning. That's the way I think we can sort of understand it as being update an update of Montesquieu. Essentially, I don't know what that means. <clears throat> okay, so what that means, so is that that's the kind of like Montesquieu's ideas about what makes a nation. I fucked up and said um, Tocqueville. Tocqueville. I meant Montesquieu. Okay. <laughs> so, Tocqueville so, has his own very strange ideas. Yes, Tocqueville has his own very strange ideas. But so for Montesquieu, it's nation, or the nation is about the folk, the people the tongue language and the geography. And so we can like map those things. We can take those things and sort of like um, use them as nodes to map out using marks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but that is, I think where it kind of like that's, if we want to historically situate it before we do that, that's where we do it. And and, um, I also, it's it's something else that I was thinking when, when you were uh, talking about like when this happens and like the importance of the revolution for like, like some kind of national, like shared identity coming out of that, that sort of transcends regional difference. Again, like that, that takes me to the the national tale of like Ireland and Scotland in the early 19th century, because like there were people who were kind of separatists who, who did that stuff. But like, as we'll see with Walter Scott, um, 
like a lot of it was sort of inventing a Scottishness that could be reconciled into this new thing called Britishness, which is this trans kind of country identity. Um, and, and so again, yeah, like I actually feel like in a weird way that what's happening with this on both sides of the Atlantic shares a lot of commonalities, even though what's happening in America and what's happening in the UK at the time are, you know, very historically distinct things. Yeah. I'm like trying to think about, I'm trying, like trying to think about this more because I think it's a really good point and I can't figure out. So what I'm trying to do is use your point about that to figure out like why everyone is so goddamn weird, (laughs) which is like Megan's question. So we have, so, so like we have, is this like, is this like some kind of a weird tension that just like produces like strange cultural artifacts? Yeah. It's just such a, like, I, it's hard for me to sort of weigh in too much because my familiarity is so like post um let's say 14th or 15th amendment like that that's my yeah field right, right but uh but those that we that the nation would be contested that in or out is a central problem seems like the hallmark in the u.s of like a new national paradigm that's like the revolution, but also like in Britain or whatever we want to call that at this moment, that they're working that out too. They're just working it out in a different way. Mm-hmm. And also like, I think that the colonial question is distinct. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That these are two mm-hmm. different colonial situations. Um, I don't know, Katie, if you want to like kick us off on this or not, but, or Tristan, you have a different, also smart point of view on like what's gothic here also like what's just gothy and like people who wear all black or (laughs) what's like halloween right right which is like why i'm into it i'm just into like it has ghosts not really (laughs) yeah so um so i actually i I, like so my thought with the gothic um like and 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 what, like where it shares commonalities with the British Gothic and Katie, I think you have good points about how it's it's a very distinct thing. Is that like so? One thing about the Gothic um, in Britain is it's it's a genre of decay, right? Like it's it's in spooky old castles where like you know it's not you, you need like a lot of history to have and and a lot of kind of like fucked up and like decaying history and historical artifacts to have it. Um, and like, everything has to be covered in dust and people's hair has to be falling off. Exactly. And like in the American case where obviously there's thousands of years of pre-European history and also a lot of fucked up violent history in in, in and after the moment of contact, um, there's not, you know, we don't have the fucking like spooky German castle. Um, so like if, if you just look at the way the story starts, right? Like very first page. Um, In the bosom of one of those spacious coves which indent the eastern shore of the Hudson at that broad expansion of the river denominated by the ancient Dutch navigators like 150 years ago (laughs) or 200 years ago, most the Tappan Zee and where they always prudently shortened sail and implored the protection of St. Nicholas when they crossed, there lies a small market uh, town, a rural port. 
um, which by some is called Greensboro, but which is more generally pr- properly known by the name of Terrytown. Um, yeah. So, all right. So first of all, these ancient, like, I mean, we're talking about yeah. within the last 150 years or 200 years. Um, and I, I think, you know, so it, it, it can't be that ancient. Um, I don't know. I, I also just like, I, again, like, I mean, this is, this is very rural New York when Irving's writing, but it's just hilarious to me to think of where the fucking Tappan Zee bridge is, is like this mystical right. spot, you know, <laughs> like, so <laughs> You know what I mean? But so it's like, it's like, I think part of like what Irving's doing and also like making fun of is just this like, what would it look like if you could have like the kind of like long history that you get in like the German countryside of the, of the British Gothic in America? Um, yeah. So anyway, that that's kind of my thoughts on or, or yeah, or at least where I'm starting from on that. Yeah, so like that shit is so recent, and that's why I think that the 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 cotton the cotton mather stuff is important. That Ichabod is obsessed with cotton mather because that is like the older history. Yes, that that uh, connects to the European um, to the European uh, like thread to America, Mm -hmm. and it also is like. That's actually very scary. Like what happened? The, the witch trials are very scary. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how? That's what a hundred years before this. Little more than that, one hundred and fifty. So that's like sixteen ninety two. So like one hundred and thirty years, right? Yeah. 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 So I mean, mm-hmm. not- and even then, that's when the British were just like, "Y'all, that is too late." Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah, like- a thing. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. In Britain, they're all like, oh, it's the Enlightenment. Now we get to wear fancy wigs and bang each other all the time. It's like, what are you weirdos doing over across the... We bang no one. No. no. We wear silly hats. But even in Boston, people were like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, oh, you don't <laughs> I mean, that go makes out sense to, to me. You don't want to go out to Salem. You know? <laughs> they're kind of rednecks yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Shit's getting weird. Sounds like they're doing the lottery. Yeah. That Boston and Philly would be like, I, dude, that's not. Yeah. No, thank. They, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, right. Exactly. We have dying of syphilis to do, so we'd really appreciate it if you'd go back to where you came from. <laughs> yeah. Hard, hard pass. Gritty is a mystical creature. The Philadelphia Flyers mascot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he, he says no to to witch trials. Yeah. So. Not a not not a great plan. Uh, so. This is like a weird, uh, a weird thing that also sort of like is a historical conjuncture here. That's just side pet, pet interest of mine, which is that the German novella is also really big in this moment. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh yeah. So like Heinrich von Kleist writes the Marquisa of O, which is this incredibly famous story in 1808, and that's so like spooky shit is continental as well as. British. Mm-hmm. And that's, oh, I, yeah. again, that's just like my pet interest. But yeah, I think that that the spooky shit is circulating. And we talked when we did Poe about the Sandman, that's that story that Freud uses. Yeah. It's 1816. Right, right. Yeah. That's really interesting too, because like in in Britain, the British Gothic sets all of this shit on the continent because an implicit claim throughout um the British Gothic is Catholics are fucking creepy and, and weird. And, yeah. Right, and for sure. Live, yeah, yeah, yeah. They all live in decaying castles and like that are full of incest. Um, but I which I can't imagine is the same thing that European Catholic writers who are doing the spooky shit at the time are doing with it. But <laughs> you know. 
I mean, and I just don't know enough about Germany at the time because it's not Germany. It's yeah. diff- a bunch of different shit. Yeah. So it's like that's just the language group yes. that causes yeah. that descriptor. Um, w- somebody go read some ETA Hoffman for us <laughs> and send us a very thorough email about it. Um, Invoice us for your therapy. And <laughs> about getting married to a robot with terrifying eyeballs. Right. Right. <laughs> um. But, you know, so like, I, I, like, I think Hawthorne, we talked about this a little bit with the Scarlet Letter. Hawthorne did a version of this. Um, Melville, we keep making reference to his bonkers ass novel, Pierre, which also is like the ancient, ancient Dutch aristocracy of New York, you know? Um, and I think all of them are kind of fucking around with that. Like, this is sort of goofy and weird. But I think Irving is flat out like, no, this shit's just funny. I mean, like. You, you know, like the whole, like th- this, this tale is actually very funny to me and like intentionally. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, for real. And, and I think, yeah. and so I think, and it's not just like owning Ichabod Crane, although it does definitely does want to do that. It's also kind of owning this American impulse, which it is also doing of like, right. what if we had this different kind of long history, you know? Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I think that also the thing is like that at the bottom of every like long, creepy legend, gothic thing, fable, like all this shit is, is like some dumbass. Yes. yes. Always. Yeah. And that actually like is a gothic thing that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, d- so I'm going to spoil some of Radcliffe. So earmuffs, please. <laughs> Um, I believe but there's it's clear that anything more than a hundred years old does no not deserve a spoiler. But in like in one of the in um in in Radcliffe's The Mysteries of Udolpho, mm-hmm. the thing like the scary scary thing is just like a wax figure, right? Okay, right. It's like it's nothing. It's like there's nothing there. Yes. Right, like the the Radcliffian Gothic is famous for um, subsuming all of the creepy shit ultimately into a very rational and containable explanation. Um, whereas there's an anti-Radcliffian or a non-Radcliffian Gothic, which let's like no, it's like actual fucking ghosts, right? <laughs> like, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. And Radcliffe is never, yeah. And that's like, I think, kind of this amazing irony about like this goth i don't know if it's gothic but i i kind of do think it is moment in us cinema in the 70s 60s and 70s like Romus Mary's baby which we'll talk about next week but also the exorcist where it's like a woman behaves completely rationally mm-hmm. in trying to solve a problem and it's like no it's legitimately incredibly fucking scary right right yeah yeah, yeah. this i think part of the fucking around in this in this story that it's not just the funny lines because Irving has a lot of funny one-liners. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are owning Ichabod Crane. Um, but he also does this and like, and Brom Bones, the sort of like, uh, like jacked and swole and manly rival is a dipshit who like does whoopee cushion pranks. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. He's a big moron too. Yeah. Like- yes. So like everyone's a dumbass and, um, and Katrina Van Tassel, they say, uh, is like kind of just like putting her tits out and like teasing everyone. Apparently, you know, right. like that's that's her deal. And so then we have our hero Ichabod Crane, who is a hungry boy, and that's like part of the roasting. Like yeah. that's part yeah. of the 
that that's part of the like why we get gothic and anti-gothic because in a real gothic thing like people are wasting away nobody's right. eating like this is not like we are not doing uh b- buffets no. this isn't this isn't happening this is a full buffet like porn no exactly. yeah we're not doing luxurious pies exactly there's like yeah like because the other 18th century thing that i'm thinking of as i'm reading this shit is like uh john constable paintings which are these very I mean, it's kind of like the 18th <laughs> yeah, century yeah, yeah, version yeah. of like fucking thomas kincaid right it's like these yes. beautiful cottages with these like very you know uh <laughs> very large breasted like women like wearing you know with, with with like carrying big baskets of fruit at the english cut you know and that kind of right. shit which is like that's not gothic. Like that's a very different kind of thing entirely. You know, like well, and right. it's like the beautiful peasantry. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, the other thing in this in this story that kind of so this is this the gothic elements of it is are the this like legend, this mystery, like who is this headless horseman? We have this old revolutionary war ghost. So we have a lot of we have a lot of that stuff. But in an actual gothic tale. People are usually like unwilling participants who have been drawn into something that they didn't fully understand and didn't really know. Right. The spooky part of this is like Ichabod Crane is getting together with a bunch of old ladies and like scaring himself to be titillated. And then he's like too totally. scared to walk home. Yes, yes. But uh, yes, he goes because he wants to roast apples with them at, at the fire. Oh, and then yeah. he gets to, yeah, he gets so, he, they, yeah, they they kind of wind, wind each other up. Um, yeah, exactly. He's such a wiener. Like, I know that every gothic hero or heroine is not, like, our proxy. But he's so far from being our proxy that I feel like it's not anything substantial. It's not an anti-hero either because he's such a, like, fucking drip. Yeah. Yes. We have nobody. Like, we have nobody here. Like, Brom Bones, he's described as, um, uh, as, as... Katrina um, is the object of Brom Bones' uncouth gallantries. And though his amorous toyings were something like the gentle caresses and endearments of a bear, it was whispered that she did not altogether encourage her hopes, Hmm. discourage his hopes. So then we have like Ichabod Crane, on the other hand, who Tristan, I don't know if you want to read the description of him. That's like, it's just like, these are our two. These are our dork. Choose your fighter. Yes. Okay. Tall dork or short jock. <laughs> um, so yeah. All right. So he he he. Uh, okay. I will right. only note, like, while you find it, that I just realized that, like, with respect to my earlier point about the ancient Indian burial ground, that's literally here. I just saw it again. Aware. Oh, yeah. No. No. It's it's in yeah. the oh, beginning. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. The right. prophet or wizard. Wizard of his tribe. That's right. Yes. I have a theory about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I can't wait. Let's talk about that later. But first, let's figure yeah, yeah, out no, what these okay. dorks look like. Right. So, so, yeah. so, so Ichabod, he's, this is when he's going off to try to, 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 to seal the deal with Katrina and, and her tracks of land. Um, so, and, and he, so he, because he, he doesn't have anybody, so he borrows this like old plow horse, right? So, okay. The animal he bestrode was a broken down plow horse that had outlived almost everything but his viciousness. He was gaunt and shagged uh, with a U neck and a head like a hammer 
His rusty mane and tail were tangled and knotted with burrs. One eye had lost its pupil and was glaring and spectral, <laughs> but the other uh, had the gleam of a genuine devil in it. Still, he must have had fire and metal in his day, if we may judge from the name he bore of gunpowder. Uh, and then, so then we get a little bit further down, we get the description of Ichabod. Ichabod was a suitable figure for such a steed. He rode with short stirrups, which brought his knees nearly up to the pommel of the saddle. His sharp el- elbows stuck out like a grasshopper's. He carried his whip perpendicularly in his hand like a scepter. <laughs> and his horse jogged on. The motion of his arms was not unlike the flapping of a pair of wigs. A small wool hat rested on top of his nose, for so uh, so his scanty strip of forehead might be called, and the skirts of his black coat fluttered about almost to the horse's tail (laughs) awesome just sexy as hell i am so happy that you read that because i was actually thinking of a different part oh okay also but like i forgot that he fucking owns the shit out of just like 200 times the one the other one which is great is is when tall but exceedingly lank with narrow shoulders yes he was tall but exceedingly lank with narrow shoulders, long arms and legs, hands that dangled a mile out of his sleeves, feet that might have served for shovels, and his whole frame most loosely hung together. His head was small and flat at top with huge ears, large green glassy eyes, and a long sniped nose that it looked like a weathercock perched above his spindle neck to tell which way the wind blew. To see him riding along the profile of a hill on a windy day, with his clothes bagging and fluttering about him, one might have mistaken him for the genius of famine descending upon the earth, or <laughs> some scarecrow eloped from a cornfield. That is great. Yeah, I t- yeah, that one is great too. He's just a big Sexy. lopey. Well, not even big, tall lopey motherfucker, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's some. That's some. Darcy shit. Fitzwilliam Darcy shit right there. Just sexy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> the horse one is so funny though, because it's like he looked like a fucking grasshopper. Like yeah, I, No, yeah, that's why I love that one because yeah, he said he's like he's sitting like basically like a jockey saddle on top of yeah. six and a half feet tall. And I love the image of him with it like the, the whip just held up perpendicular, like it like I don't know how to even use this thing. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this horse is like covered in shit yeah. <laughs> right with his clothing bagging and fluttering about him um yeah and, and it's important to point out too like so like all of it like all of this is intentional on the part clearly intentional on the part of irving right it's not it's not like we're finding goofy shit that he doesn't mean to, that he actually wants to be spooky it's like no this is like a, a goofy ass fucking story and very intentionally so i think you know Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, okay, so then how does that goofiness relate to whatever the fuck it's doing with, like, its engagement with the gothic? Or, like, if you were to do a serious version of the story, which it doesn't want to do. You know what I mean? Like, like. Like, is there some some kind of critique of something being offered there? And, and like, what is what might that be of, I guess, is a question I have. I gotta say, I really think that Hawthorne has a story that almost is like, yes, it's about a guy who goes into a town on a ferry boat Mm -hmm. and he knows that he won't be able to return once he crosses the bridge. Right. It's very much the same, right? but it's very serious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, and it's also like Hawthorne is also always dealing with the Puritan past and um, Irving is dealing with it too, but he's, 
roasting it. Right. And so I think that like, that's the difference is that if you were to really take seriously this legend of sleepy hollow as being a, uh, as being born from this history of the witch trials or something like this, mm-hmm. or like really from the revolution or, or any of these things seriously that he's saying they're about, mm-hmm. you'd have a different tale, I think. Yeah. Well, and Hawthorne seems really – when I say this, I mean this is like I love this about Hawthorne. He's genuinely really fucked up about the sort of history of the witch trials or the history of Puritanism right. and not in a way that allows him to just roast it because he really is like fucked up on it. Right. Well, re- it's also – oh, sorry, Tristan. No, I I, I was just going to say that like it, it's also like – so – what Irv, what I think Irving is pointing out, like this sort of like bullshitness of like America, like fantasizing about like this this other kind of history, like there's a, there's like real darkness and evil embedded in that very impulse, right? Which I think is what Hawthorne draw, draws out. Yeah. It's like no, we actually do have quite a bit of history, and it is fucked up. Whereas like Irving is kind of like, look at us goofs. Like we were, oh yeah, the ancient Dutch, like that's dumb. It's like, right. But, but like that, that impulse is so embedded in like colonialism and colonial violence. Um, You know, which I, I, yeah. So I get, I don't know. It's like, that feels like I'm saying that like, oh, like kind of Irving's being less, uh, is not like, is not as serious like of a, or as interesting of a critique as Hawthorne. I, I don't know if that's quite what I'm saying. It's just like, Hawthorne is really. Oh, I don't think it's a critique in this. I don't think it's like a a serious critique. I just don't think it has that energy, which is not like. Yes. That doesn't make it any less fun. I just think all of us think of Hawthorne as being like a much more serious writer. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Exactly. Like, I I, I guess what I'm saying is like Irving's impulse seems to be to laugh at that shit, whereas Hawthorne's like, yeah, we let's maybe not let that's actually, you know, like, let's actually dwell on on what the fucked up legacies of this stuff is, you know? Yeah, I think think it's also like, um, and neither of them does my personal fave version of like, um, American Fury, which is the like, um, cynical melville no no you know it's like that his melville is hella funny but not in this goofy way right right no but melville also doesn't get often he's not quite so direct as irving is yeah no i totally agree with that yeah like he says it straight out and he's doing something totally different irving's target i think is not the things themselves it's the people who regenerate and retell the stories. Mm. So I think what Irving is saying is That's right, yeah. w- when you make these things into gossipy tales that you tell around a fire, you wind up making an ass of yourself and becoming a people of dipshits. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, but, but I mean, I think it's also like, so I just think the projects are super different and the audiences are super different and both are all of them are, are doing something that that's trying to like wrestle with history, but would he be mad at horror movies? Irving? Yeah. Like, like why, why would he be? Right. Because he's mad at spooky stories to tell in the dark. He makes, if it makes you dumb, right? I think that it's about, uh, how credulous you are mm. you know oh, god. oh yeah 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 okay got it 
like you can certainly you can certainly tell these spooky stories but if you then like vacate the town and leave all your worldly possessions because you think that a a, a horseman with no head is chasing you you're probably a dumbass but actually if any of us were walking alone at night and somebody who looked like they had no goddamn right. head <laughs> came was chasing for us. us we'd all shit our fucking pants right yeah so I think he's saying something more about like epistemology and understanding the world than he is about and what it does to like retell these that, you know, these, these stories and like how you should interact with everything than he is about the particular stuff that it comes from. Okay. That's great. Actually, that helps me because it's just not nearly so much about like the fun of spooky stories, which we can all sort of live in. Right. Like that's fine as it is about don't be a dumbass. Right. Well, and 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 that that the project of like figuring out what the fuck the United States is, um, which I do, I mean, at your context, I think you know really drew this out, Katie. That that's like that's is what like the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crown and everything else he wrote was. I mean, it's invested in doing that, and like, I mean, in you know, post revolution, early nineteenth century, that is like a pressing question. Um, but like, yeah, but, but, but I, I don't know that, that as he's going about doing that, like he also, yeah, don't be a dumbass. He also is trying to point out like various instabilities and just ridiculousnesses of that kind of project. But that doesn't mean that he takes the impulse to like ask those questions. Like what the fuck is this country? Like who the fuck are we? Um, as not being serious questions. Yeah. And he's also saying at the end, like, the the dipshit who believes that he's being chased by a headless horseman then is like a fancy judge guy who's like in charge of making decisions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and he has also been in charge of teaching all the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. But the so the epilogue is really important because what how that goes is that the um the author so like the the sort of character that Irving uses to be the author of the tales is talking about when he heard this story and he's saying that he heard it from this poor guy who seemed like he had a really good sense of humor. And there's this other guy who's like maybe Ichabod Crane, like standing, you know, like, or is like an Ichabod Crane, like figure if he's not, um, is standing and watching them tell the tale. And so we have this, like this, this poor man who's telling him the story. Who's like dressed shabbily. And at the end of the story, he says, um, Faith, sir, replied the storyteller, as to that matter, meaning the Sleepy Hollow thing, I don't believe one half of it myself. So he knows how to tell the story and how to receive the story. But this fancy, fancy guy, this fancy judge guy does has not understood how to receive the story. And he's the one in charge. And the guy who's telling the story is not. Right. I don't know. I, I hate to like keep, keep making comparisons to the British context, which I don't think, you know, because I think that like buries a lot of really important historical difference. But I do think too, that, that that like that that is also making me think of people like Walter Scott and Mariah Edgeworth um, in that like, yeah, they're trying to they're trying to tell some story about the nation. But they're also like, don't think that that involves a, a non-critical or like overt romanticization of what the nation is. You know what I mean? Like, like they, they are, it is like, it is important to like have some kind of like, sort of like shared national understanding, shared na- national um, 
like body of like tales or literature, but at the same time, like that, that like only believing half of it. Right. Or like, or that, that like you hear it, you process it, you in some way celebrate it, but you also have to maintain some sort of like thoughtful and critical stance towards it. Um, or otherwise it's just, it's, you know, it's either like candy or I think in the, in the, you know, worst cases, it's actually extremely damaging to the project that it's, it's setting out to accomplish. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that the thing that Irving is adding to that kind of framing Mm -hmm. is that he's saying that you have to understand comedy to do it right. Mm, Okay. He's saying, great. That's his sort of criticism. He talks about, in, again, in the postscript uh, of this guy who's sort of like, like, lo- like doing resting bitch face at the, at the, when the story is being told, he says, he was one of your wary men who never laugh, but upon good grounds when they have reason and law on their side. So it's like, if you can never laugh when you're not in the position of power, then you're going to miss a lot of really important shit, oh. but you're also going to be able to cover your ass enough to become a fancy judge. Right, but that's even true of the version of Ichabod Crane earlier, right? Like he never laughs at anything. Yeah, yeah, right? no, he, he doesn't. He doesn't under. Yeah, no, nothing's funny to him. No, even when he's sort of like in a less powerful position as the school teacher, he's still just like. Why would it be funny that I dance like a jerk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, two historical questions. One being, what is Cotton Mather doing here? And I really am not being sarcastic. I just don't understand. And the other is like the ancient Indian burial ground. Yeah. Um, on In terms of the, so like the legend of, so the reason why this town is haunted, Irving says, is because um, it was, potentially cursed by so it says some say the place was bewitched by a high german doctor during the early days of the settlement others that an old indian chief the prophet or wizard of his tribe held his powwows there before the country was discovered by master henrik hudson so like what's going on there is we have like the two different possibilities we have like this creepy old world figure mm-hmm. Or we have this old Indian chief, in Irving's terms, who's doing, like, powwows and shit. Right. The unknowable New World figure. Right. And, yeah. And what basically, like, basically, though, that has to have been, like, that has to have some, that's some way of acknowledging that they, so if it's, like, before the country was discovered, they either, like, made this shit up or some, like, some native guy who just wanted to have a good time was like yes you fucking lord of the rings motherfucker dork yeah we're all wizards dumbass right right yes so yeah and and i think or they actually held like a benign enough powwow like a powwow is a dance you know what i'm saying like they did something like fully benign like had a party there once and people were just like holy shit (laughs) right exactly yeah no i mean yes to all of that and also it is like it is that it it's it's a moment in the text where like the awareness of the like yeah this history we're trying to create 
like there's this whole other fucking history that that has tried to subsume. You know, it, it's like to me, it's like one of like it might be the only moment in that text where that aspect of like what that sort of imposition of a narrative is doing. Right? It's like yeah, right. but you know what? Oh, we don't have any history. Ha ha. No, there's actually a ton of history, but it's not ours. And it's also like yeah, it's like it's 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 an epistemological like sort of like um uh, uh, uh threat to like the kind of European colonization um. And, and, but it, yeah, it, it's also, yeah, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's, it is, yes. it is, it's, it, it's kind of pointing out the sort of like colonial, like, uh, well, just the colonial like anxiety. And also I think the colonial violence of that sort of like that relation to history, you know what I mean? I mean, to me, it's like peak Irving to be like, this is a sincere anxiety, but we're going to be like fucking goofball as shit about yes. it. Yeah. I agree. You know, like yeah. maybe this old german guy did it or maybe it was this party of the native people it's like he's got to be goofy about it even though it's like it's just a sincere anxiety that other writers take seriously but he's just like yeah well it's also he's like well maybe gandalf fucking like (laughs) yeah right that's great it's 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 just it's but also the thing is that he's he's saying like okay so it's it's one of it's one of two things, right? Yeah. It's either this German guy or it's this old Indian chief. Yeah. High German doctor, old Indian chief. Yes. Right. So we have like these two possibilities, both of which acknowledge the fact of colonization and both of which are like potentially the scene of the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so why, what do they have in common? Both mysterious. Okay. Like the science. <laughs> We have like no, so this actually relates to the the Cotton Mather shit. Like okay, we either cool. have this like doctoring guy who's maybe messing around with like science in a way that's pushing the boundaries too far, that's like doing something supernatural, right? Like we have something there, and then we have this other ma- like it's is magical element that comes from a different place. It's okay. a different thing, but that's tied together by the, by um. Like it's a religious, you know, like it's it's either like we have what's understood to be a religious explanation because he says the prophet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Or it's a scientific explanation that's like that's um that's tipped into supernatural. Right. So I think like the actual words are sort of like tell you something. Right. And well, and there's also like in, in addition to like the alternate history or the buried history of like the, the pre-Columbian past. There is also like buried like colonial history as well, right? It's like, yeah, New York was a Dutch colony. Like, and, and that, you know, that to us yeah. sounds like a ridiculous kind of fixation today. Like, oh, like what, to, but, but no, it's like that for, for like sort of like English settlers in the, in the, in, in the mid Atlantic, that actually was itself a sort like, I think there were more German speakers in Pennsylvania at the time of the revolution than there were English speakers. And like that yeah. actually freaked the fuck out of like the English speaking population. I read so, that there was some, um, there was some there's some thought about like why the United States never declared English like an official language like early in the Republic was because if they had wanted to declare an official language, it would have had to have been German <laughs> just on yeah. the number of oh, speakers. Okay. You know? So anyway. Um yeah, but no, I mean I, I agree with all that. And I also like, I mean, I, I do it's like I it, there's definitely an anxiety coming through there. I don't I, I agree with what you're saying, Megan, that like Irving's impulse is to like look how goofy that is. So I'm not sure like how like latent or like super aware of that anxiety it is, but I do think it's definitely an anxiety that's present. And so what does this have to do with Cotton Mather besides that he's like a religious figure of note? 
Oh, so the reason why, so Cotton Mather is a really interesting guy for a lot of reasons. One is that, so he did this thing where, so he wrote this, um, this book about witchcraft and how to spot a witch. And he was very, like very pushing the witch trials. And his dad, this famous minister was finally like, uh, we got to put a stop to this. Like you need to cut it the fuck out because his point, because, because his main point was that, well, you're, you're making all these arguments and you have no logic. Like, Oh, so you're saying like all of these, so you're saying like all of this shit was like these women, but why couldn't it just be Satan taking the shape of people if Satan takes other shapes? Mm. So that was kind of the logic that brought down the witch trials and sort of embarrassed increase Mather. And that was the, and so that whole like taking on the form of it's a spectral evidence question. So, so that's what that sort of means is that um, you, it's not, it's like not your body. It's not your physical form not put an end to that. But the thing to know about Cotton Mather is he's actually like very ahead of his time scientifically. Like he was crossbreeding plants. He was a real early proponent of vaccination. One of his slaves Ooh. told him about that she had been vaccinated right. in Africa and he became completely obsessed with this. And that was also like Benjamin Franklin too was really obsessed with vaccination. And we don't think of him in any sort of way that in the same you know, in the same breath that we say Cotton Mather, we don't say Benjamin Franklin. So there's a lot of complicated stuff going on and Cotton Mather ties the two threads together. Uh, The religious thread, which can go too far. And the sort of potentially like we, I don't know that we see this a ton in the tale itself, but this, this high German doctor thing like does say we may have pushed something too far in another way. And you end up in the supernatural. Like you can go too far in either direction. And wind up in a fucked up place. So, Katie, do you have questions for us here at the end? I do. I would like you to settle something cool. for me. Okay. And we know that Ichabod Crane is a scream singer, a very hungry scream singer. Yes. Okay. And singing loudly is something that uh, sort of plagues many of us. In, in in today's times. And so I have two selections from Reddit's Am I the Asshole? <laughs> Excellent. And, and they both, and so one sort of comes from someone who I imagine to be a friend of Ichabod if he had them. And then the other I imagine to be Ichabod himself. Okay. So, okay. So what's our choice? Our choice is who is the asshole or? Yes, you just, you have to decide asshole or not asshole on both got it so the, cho- the choices are am i the asshole yes or no so you just weigh in tell me why if you have a big opinion on a the take. matter yes but here's here's ichabod's so i love singing and have this habit with headphones on of loudly singing and dancing in public places e.g busy streets or park Try to keep the volume down near people and don't do it in buildings or around children. But I still know it's really weird and somewhat annoying, with which I'm fine. A lot of people do a lot of annoying things every day. It doesn't necessarily mean they're dicks. But am I an asshole? My ethical system is way different than most people. So it's really hard to tell. Uh Uh-oh. 
Friends have told me that it's okay. But then again, they're my friends. <laughs> I suspect I am, but honestly don't know. I would appreciate any help. Thanks. <sighs> Ichabod. <laughs> I don't understand why you can't rock out in your apartment. Like, I, the idea of singing in public when you've not, when it's a non-singing context yeah. is a remarkable willingness to be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there is, I understand that people do a lot of annoying things. And because of this, I personally operate, uh, I know Tristan, you do this at like, Katie. I don't know if you do like my resting affect is just like low grade irritation. Mm-hmm, yeah, totally. <laughs> And if you're going to bump me from my resting state of irritable three into irritable eight, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah, no, totally. And I also see that when you say my ethical system is different from other like that. that, Oh, that is worrying. (laughs) Right there is like, oh, you suck. I see. I get. Okay. Yeah. Um, No, I don't. uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I like singing. But I mean, I, 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 sure. I'm down for it. But yeah, it's definitely a context appropriate situation. Like, you know, I, so like, I, I do this, this guy who uh, like he would uh, he, he would like retreat. He was this, like this old, like, you know, kind of burnt out hippie would retreat to his car to like blast the Rolling Stones on cassette. Like uh, this, this is in New Jersey, by the way, Katie. <laughs> I'm uh, not mad at that. No, 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 no. it's car. like, yeah, no, that's great, fine. But like. Uh, well, you two are in line with Reddit, and I want to read the postscript <laughs> from the guy. Okay, good. Because I think that I think you'll like it. Okay, so Reddit says, asshole. That's the verdict. Yes. The guy says, edit. Thanks for voting, everyone. Smiley face. It seems that I indeed am an asshole, like suspected, which fucking sucks, as singing feels so good. But hey, so does fucking your friend's stepsister, but you shouldn't do that either. <laughs> what the God damn it, I <laughs> God damn it, I hate making personal changes. Thanks again, guys. Oh god, Reddit. <gasps> this I know that this is like a like a weird um parallel, but I just thought of like Tristan when your son like melt had a full five alarm meltdown over breaking a crayon uh-huh yeah oh yeah uh, i was like i get hurt feelings over breaking a crayon you are not then allowed to, <laughs> to five to alarm break. meltdown no exactly exactly yeah. i would love to sing in public and yet i am a grown-ass human person right. with sufficient self-control that i don't do that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hey, if you're gonna do it just make yeah. sure it's on an airplane you know like, <laughs> like <laughs> middle of the continent yeah, no absolutely. Can go anywhere. Like, you know. <laughs> right over the ocean yeah, yeah. nobody can escape i love that he's really mad about having to make like like self-reflective changes yeah he hates it i mean this is he actually just confirming confirming my general impression of redditors i would say yeah yep. uh, <laughs> They're all willing to take me from my daily irritable three to my irritable eight. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we are. Charming. Um, so you're ready to judge one more. Yes. It's very yes. short. Okay. 
Would I be the asshole if I asked my insanely kind yet terribly tone-deaf roommate to stop singing? Okay. So this dude is legit the nicest guy on the planet. Not only would he not hurt a fly, he'd sit down with a fly and ask how his day is going. It's like living with Pooh Bear if he tossed on pants. He's just a downright great bud. However, he sings like a walrus being slowly sliced from the tail up with a dull butter knife. He's got an extremely low voice, but couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. He picks one tone, will not leave that tone, it's his home. And instead of moving his pitch up and down, he simply yells louder or more softly. (laughs) I know. All of his favorite tunes are sing-alongs, too, with his favorite band being Queen. Sometimes he notices how he sounds, so he'll turn up the music, which just makes him louder. Now, (laughs) Now, you may be thinking, if he's so nice... Why would that bother you? I'm not thinking that. But I have lived. (laughs) This is the worst. But I have lived with this dude for three years. We carpool to work Uh, every day for three years. And the walrus is still suffering. Oh, God. L-O-L. I mean, my thought here is like, you're kind of going to be an asshole because like that, that is really going to be like devastating to this person. But look, sometimes you got to like make the call. Like if being an asshole in this way, like, dude, you suck at singing, please stop is going to prevent me from murdering this person that like, (laughs) you you got to pick which degree of asshole you want to be. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like. I also, if there's a way to split the difference on this one, if you're like, could you not sing in the car? It makes me want to punch you. Because I find almost anyone who's not me all all alone singing in the car to be very irritating. Yes, I would agree. Um, And so I would say like after 10 p.m. and in the car, it's like no singing. But otherwise, like get a pair of high quality headphones or also like, is there a part of the house that you can't hear this person in? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. I'm guessing not. <laughs> I'm guessing not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, they they share they share like a they share like a studio or one bedroom in in Manhattan or something, right? Like, <laughs> or could but, you ask them to sing more quietly and just phrase it as noise pollution and not about the quality of this person singing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, oh, sorry, I'm trying to work or something. Yeah, but I, I agree with you, Megan. Like, if you if you can if you're in a situation where you can just put in headphones or like go to a different part of the house, then yeah. But yeah, make make it like make it like a contextual, uh, like yeah, a context kind of dependent, sort of like whether you're calling this person out for sucking or not. Right. It doesn't have to be that. I don't think. I think it can be a version of like it's just distracting or. Yeah. Yeah. In the car, it's just annoying when anybody does that. Yes. Also, like I it sounds like living with this person is otherwise amazing. And so I think you have to slice like how what levels of irritability you're willing to tolerate. Because it doesn't it actually sounds like this person is great to live with. I agree. It like otherwise. Yeah. If it were an otherwise shitty ass roommate who also like just like then I think you just fucking roast that Even person. Even a borderline well. roommate, I'd just be like, "Shut the yeah. fuck up." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, not to Winnie the Pooh. No. 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 Okay. Okay. So it's settled. We have decided that wow, but we don't know if this is an asshole. 
Well, right. Reddit, Reddit says he would be the asshole to st- ask him to stop singing, but there's some nuance. I think there's some nuance here. The, yeah. Like the third option on this forum is like, it's just a bad situation all yeah. around. Um, I think yeah. that's kind of where yeah, I, I think that it's, it's like you, yes, asshole, but like there are ways to mitigate that. And uh, sometimes you have to be a little bit asshole of an asshole. in a way that I feel like I could be that asshole. Like yeah. not, I don't try and think of myself as generally an asshole. Right. Right. But the first one is like, I'm an asshole on purpose. Does that really <laughs> bug you guys that much? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that that's a level of like, if I, Tristan and I share an office at work, and if I were like, I really like to fart in there all morning and then just close the door. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, um, <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, there. I guess Ichabod is an asshole, and I think there's really no doubt about that. Yeah, I agree. So this has been better read than dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod R E A D. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you want to tell us about a time in your life when a dipshit got owned with a pumpkin, preferably by getting banged in the head. <laughs> Our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Rate us, review, subscribe, tell us how cute our hair looks these days. There may have been some changes. I don't think so, actually. Um, and next week, our Halloween Fright Fest continues with Rosemary's Baby. I am going to go a little theory on that one, so skip it if you feel like. <laughs> also, don't. <laughs> no, let's don't listen, listen to our podcast. podcast. It's bad. Don't. No, it's going to be really, really good. Um, and we also have The Castle of Otranto, which is the first Gothic novel after that. And then finally, our much-anticipated Ulysses it's going to be cool. So thanks. Yeah.